Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> Galen Patterson with Roy. Yes. <laughs> Fighting show today, yeah. Huh? Let's do a little different. Yeah. This program is sponsored by people be muscle. Yeah. <laughs> Get my little wrestler voice. Yeah. The number one drug free sponsorship foundation in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and if you are a drug free athlete and are looking for a solid foundation to stand on and a vehicle to drive your goals like what that Ray? Like a Mack truck through ice cream. Faster. Check us out at P4PMuscle.com and now let's chit chat with the banter. How you doing, Desiree? I am doing just fantastically. How are you doing, Kaylin Patterson? I'm super aesthetic and happy. <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> awesome. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh you know why. So, you tell, so why, well, why don't you tell us? Why don't you tell us why you are so happy? Because our guest, I'm such a fan. Such a fan. I, I, I can't even hide my banter for today because I'm such a fan. One of the truest, bluest individuals I've ever met. And we have great guests. But this one, yes. I'm just happy to know as a human being. How about that? Is that enough for you to be happy? Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Exciting. Yes. 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 If I had pom-poms, I would be shaking them <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you do not, why don't we go ahead and cut the suspense, and why don't you intro who we're going to have on the show tonight? Yes. Yes, I will. That, Desiree, that's such a grand idea. I like to have to actually Thank follow you. through with this. No more banter on that. I have been in natural bodybuilding for some years now, and I've just always been asking the question of why things don't get better, why things don't improve, and why things are basically sitting where they are. And one of the things was lack of information, um, misdirection and a lot of false information, and so I fell prey to that a lot myself. And then there was this beacon of light, and it shone through with the face of Doctor Joe. And so when that happened, everything I said, then there is a way out of all the crap, all the misdirection. Everything that could go wrong with an industry can be salvaged because someone is actually out there putting forth great information, truthful information, and information that is scientifically backed. Oh, thank God. And that was Dr. Joe. And so when I had a chance to meet him, you better believe I hit the road because I was so happy to actually speak with someone who wasn't afraid to be challenged for the information they were putting out there because they'd already done the research to make sure that they were actually speaking the truth. So, Dr. Joe, if you don't mind speaking up for yourself, since I've uh, basically run myself with dry mouth from talking too long, um, and introduce yourself to the new listeners. Uh, we've actually gone international, I think, I think, since the last time we've spoken. So you don't have to speak in a different language, but, hey, do speak up. 
How you doing? All right. You guys are cracking me up, man. This is uh, quite an honor. And uh, it's funny with all that intro. I thought, man, who's who's on the show? I'm excited now. I want to I want to talk to this person. <laughs> but uh, you you guys are great, man. It's it's been too long. I think it's been a couple years since I've been on the show, and it sounds like you're doing amazing things. And I'm just happy to be here and and participate in a good conversation. All right. Well, Dr. Joe, why don't you go ahead? I, You know, it's been a while, so I'm going to say, I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce your last name correctly anymore, but Klim, I'm not even going to try it. Go ahead and say it for us. Klimzeski. <laughs> Klimzeski. Yeah, you got it. There you go. Klimzeski. Yep. All right. Dr. Joe Klimzeski, and he is the founder of Diet Doc and one of the pioneering champs, Flexible Dieting. So, Joe, it has been a couple of years why don't you bring us up to speed on where everything has been going with you for Diet Doc? I keep seeing all these amazing updates. I know you've got some new and great things like your own podcast going on. So kind of give us the deets on where Diet Doc has been since the last time we spoke. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, it's kind of an interesting year. I was doing some math earlier in, just this year in a podcast, and I, I realized I started – in business exactly 25 years ago. So I've I've personally been competing. I've been lifting weights since I was 11 or 12 years old and started competing when I was 20. But when I actually put some roots down and said, I'm going to start doing some work in nutrition, I'm going to, I'm going to get involved in this industry. It was, it was exactly 25 years ago. And then 20 years ago. So five years after that is when I started writing for, natural bodybuilding magazines, and then that led to some other mainstream fitness magazines. So all of the work um, that you guys know me for in terms of contest prep and just bringing some scientific validity to the industry started exactly 20 years ago. Hallelujah. So it's been a while. It's kind of funny to say that. You know, 20 years ago is when I was publishing my first articles and and getting into the fray of all this stuff. But uh, as you said, um, probably almost 15 years ago is when we started the brand, The Diet Doc. And that was primarily just just kind of a storefront name for our nutrition consulting and things that we were doing locally in Evansville, Indiana at the time, starting to to branch out. At at that time, I had sold a gym. I, I had created this gym in uh, Evansville, Indiana, and had been, you know, really growing that local base while I was getting involved with the, the bodybuilding industry. But then it was time to move on and sell that. And I thought, well, I still need something to operate under. So I created that brand, the Diet Doc. And then uh, I just couldn't leave well enough alone and, and started adding some staff to that. And, of course, you guys know Dr. Corey Probst, our wellness director and mm-hmm. uh, resident health psychologist. So, you know, we, we we just kind of launched into a lot of different things and uh, primarily a licensing program. So we've got uh, well over 100 Diet Doc program owners around the world. So uh, I, I can't really speak any foreign languages. I've, I've dabbled in a couple as I've traveled around, but uh, <laughs> we're going to be stuck doing this in, in English tonight. All right. That's quite all right. I think most of our listeners are tracking in English because you know what? We don't speak any other languages either. Well, I shouldn't say that. Kaylin is fluent in Spanish, far more fluent than I am, and he, but he does come up with a pretty mean accent, so that's how we kind of accommodate all of our international <laughs> friends. Although 
Although I don't think we've tried the accents all of the countries that our listeners originate from. And, I, and you know, it's probably a good thing that we don't because we'll probably end up insulting somebody <laughs> along the way. Yes. So we should probably just leave that alone. <laughs> so, um, so no worries there. So the last time we had Dr. Joe on the show, and you can check our archives for him, so Joe Pomzeski, um, we talked a lot about his background in lifting, but then also – um, just his career along the way and how he has really, you know, dug into the science of nutrition and strength training and really brought that to the forefront of everything that he does and really helped bring it to the forefront of natural bodybuilding. And so we dug more into those areas and check the archives to get more detail there. But tonight we're going to take a little different focus. Um, We're still going to be talking about nutrition, but tonight we're going to be talking about intermittent fasting. And I'm not sure if you guys are all that familiar with it, but uh, it's also known as time-restricted eating. And so Dr. Joe is going to take us on a journey. um, And, you know, we hope to be participating in that, so have all your questions ready, of uh, just exactly what intermittent fasting is and uh, all the uh, pros and uh, if there are any cons to it, we're going to talk about that too. So, Dr. Joe, why don't you kind of key us up? Intermittent fasting, what is what is this beast that you speak of? All right. Well, it's I, I think clearly it's probably the, the newest fad to come along. And everything, of course, swings from one extreme to another every time – you, you turn around yeah. in at least our industry, and uh, it, you know it, it has to be that way, right? Because it's a it's a marketing feeding frenzy, and, and you're only noticed if you're arguing with somebody and ranting and saying, you know, everybody over here is wrong, and I have the answer. So yeah. it, it's just just going to keep cycling like that, and I, I think it's kind of an offshoot of ketogenic dieting, which. Every time there's a resurgence of ketogenic dieting, it just gets stronger and stronger and and there are more fans. I was just doing a review for a book agent, and every single book, diet book, in the Amazon Top 100 is a keto book right now. So that's just, I mean, talk talk, talk about fanboying. I mean, everybody's in love with this because it's just contrary to common sense and everybody wants to think they have the magic bullet or that edge, something nobody else knows about. And, you know, you have to put it in a new container, right? This can't be your, your, your daddy's Atkins diet. It's got to be something new and revolutionary. And so of course uh, it came along first in the form of of paleo and that's not really a ketogenic diet because you're still eating fruit and, root vegetables and things like that, the potatoes. And, and so that's not clearly keto. So, you know, what's the next phase of something that you can claim is super hardcore, nobody else is going to do this, and that's the, the kind of fasting and time-restricted feeding that people are into now because we're, we're still in the throes of the 90s, you know, six meals a day, grazing, that kind of thing. So, you know, all of this stuff cycles around and around. But it, there really are some unique benefits to this, and, I, and I'm glad you brought that up, Desiree. I, I would love to talk about some of the principles we can take from this and use them and increase a lot of people who are just not familiar, increase their effectiveness. Yes. But to take it on face value and say that 
this is the best way to gain muscle or the best way to lose fat is so beyond ridiculous that I definitely want to dispel some of those notions. It just, you know, we, we create these cultic little pockets that we can, we can fight each other from. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that there are some benefits in, in using some of the, the, the principles, but it's just not what people think it is. So let, let, me, let me turn around and ask you guys a question. In your parts of the world, in your pockets of the industry, what are you hearing and what are people actually claiming uh, that they can get from this and, and how are they doing it with their methodology? Uh, well, first. from what – oh, well, I was going to go ahead and jump in, so thanks, Kaylin. <laughs> but uh, from what I've seen about intermittent fasting, I haven't really um, heard a ton of rumblings about it in the bodybuilding community, but I have seen it pop becoming more and more prevalent in just the weight loss arena, um, you know, just good for – controlling your eating habits, um, losing weight, um, you know, giving your body more time to um, digest, recover, process what's there, you know, instead of, and on a consistent basis versus, you know, overeating continually all the time or just not eating enough at all, just becoming more regimented in your food structure. Taylor? Mm -hmm. Well, mine would be more to the point of finding out more of what they're talking about instead of basically just saying this is the only way. So it for the people I've dealt with, it's been an all-or-nothing kind of deal. So the conversation doesn't stay a conversation for long, I guess the best way to say it. There's a lot of uh, definitive stance and, you know, either accept what I'm saying or you don't know what the heck you're talking about. So it, it's not even – where you can get into a debate or get to an understanding of what they're actually saying, because a lot of it does sound like keto from what I'm hearing. And there's a lot of, I guess, parts missing. And because of that, and they can't give a uh, an accurate answer, it becomes very uh, one-sided. So it, it's kind of scary on one side, you know, especially in the, the political climate that we have currently. Um it's it's almost hard to have an actual discussion unless we do it uh, with people that actually know where they're coming from and what both sides can say truthfully. So, you know, mm -hmm. this is what I've been hearing, Dr. Joe, and I'm, I'm, I hope uh, that's a good enough uh, feedback for you. Yeah, there's uh, – I think you know, the farthest back I can find any information goes in, in two different directions. So there has always been in some of the – more alternative medicine, complementary medicine type uh, groups, you know, fasting as, as just a mechanism for health, for cellular regeneration, uh, all of the ways it, it, that you just have less food, less calories when you're doing some fasting. But there, there's some real true um, idioms to the, the notion that when you're in a fasting state, you're not piling in all this food that you're then creating oxidation from, and, and your body, your immune system can just focus on other things like cellular regeneration, repair, and all that. So that's one side of it, what, where people coming from that, that more, you know, health, almost, almost a vegetarian, natural type approach. But then, just like paleo really 
uh, got its root, its, its foundation in CrossFit. You know, there's a group, there's a community that said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We think paleo is the best way to eat. And so that became the platform for that particular type of nutrition. I, I found the earliest forms of true intermittent fasting were supported by proponents of the heavy-duty methodology of training where you're training less frequently, uh, even down to the super slows. There were people in the industry 20, 30 years ago focusing on, you know, 10-second eccentric and concentric contraction-type training, and and they were proponents of intermittent fasting. Uh, they would They would sometimes eat just one meal a day. And so these guys were eating 2,000, 3,000 calories in one sitting and then, and then not eating for 24 hours. So that's, that's kind of the foundation. And now as people have, have re-funneled that into what I would call that paleo or ketogenic methodology, they're, they're basically combining the two. So one group of intermittent fasting proponents say, you know, eat two meals a day, and it's zero carbs. It's totally keto, but two meals a day. So that's one form of intermittent fasting. Then you had more of the time-restricted people coming along saying, well, you can, you can eat carbs and you can eat more than two meals, but we need to fit that in an eight-hour window. Then you're fasting for 16 hours. And, and here's, here's what gets me, is most people who start following something, they, they hear about this. They, they watch a YouTube video. They, they read an article. And they just believe the information. You know, here's somebody who calls themselves a doctor of some sort, and they say it's the right thing to do. They quote some study about a rat that gained more muscle, and so they say, okay, this is the way we're supposed to eat. This is how the human body works. And all of a sudden it gains traction. And, you know, interestingly, if you go to PubMed or Google Scholar somewhere and you just start typing, intermittent fasting and muscle gain, intermittent fasting and muscle loss, intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding and this, you're just not going to find research out there. Uh, there. There is research that talks about fasting and intermittent fasting on things like insulin resistance and decreasing obesity because you are restricting calories, you're dieting. But all of a sudden there are people on YouTube claiming that you can gain more muscle and have better performance by doing intermittent fasting and, and even coupling that with keto wow. dieting. So I, I ask you guys, just, just in, in the most common sense understanding of nutrition, if, if you had somebody who came to you and said, okay, I'm a performance athlete, I need to – bench press, squat, deadlift the most my body possibly can, or I need to be able to run up and down a basketball court, or I need to play, you know, world-level hockey, would you say, hey, the best way for you to gain the most muscle and strength is to eat no carbs, only eat twice a day? Is, is that what you would say for muscle gain and performance? There's no way to sustain it. No, just—it would be a train wreck, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there, just in the normal biological knowledge we have, and you don't have to go beyond ninth grade biology here. It just is ridiculous to even make that assertion. But I, I like I said, I want to talk about the pros of this, and with with body composition, with 
with uh, kind of threshold theory biologically, which I do want to spend a little time talking about. But just to start off with those claims, I mean, that's the thing that really gets me fired up. You know, when I hear people say that, oh, no, 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 ketogenic dieting is the way you gain the most muscle and performance and so forth. And that is just not true. There is not a single study that would say that that is true. There is a cost when you add too much carbohydrate because then obviously more insulin and all that creates, you know, the whole anabolic environment, which is great for muscle gain. That's why mm-hmm. when you look when you look at the weight classes for powerlifting, you don't see people who are the leanest and the smallest lifting the most weight, right? It takes more body mass and it takes, you know, insulin growth hormone, things like that to create that anabolic environment over time to to mm-hmm. grow that kind of muscle tissue. So I you know I mean, I, I would just start there as a platform just to say, look, we can, we can talk about the benefits of intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating in terms of how can we integrate this for people that it might be uh, a, a good way to, to use some of those principles. Again, I, I keep using that phrase. But to say that that is the way to eat, we run into a lot of problems. So, so Desiree, you tell me right now if you're listening to that, what's, what do you hear from, from people you know, just dieting, staying healthy, competing at any level. Um, any feedback on that? Um, as I said, as far as competing, not a whole lot on that end, but I haven't really been asking that question. Um, as far as some folks that I know that are using it as um, a way of life, a lifestyle for them, they seem to love it. Um, they're active. They work out. Um, they eat you know, every day between, you know, probably 11 and 7, and they don't try to eat outside of those time zones. Um, And they say they have more energy, they're sleeping well, they feel great, their, you know, digestive habits are good. So, you know, but that's just a small cross-section. I haven't, you know, spoken with tons of people who are doing intermittent fasting because I don't think there are, a lot of people, at least not in my immediate area, that are doing it, or they consider intermittent fasting being that they might fast, you know, maybe do a water fast for 24 hours once a week or twice a month or, you know, something like that, and they think that is intermittent fasting. So I think there's still a lot of misconceptions out there of what it actually is, how you do it, how you should do it correctly if you're going to do it, and then, you know, what are the benefits that, because I believe there are some health benefits to it, but then also what are the cons or what's the other side of the story that maybe we're not getting? And then specifically, you know, given our, our listeners tonight, you know, how does this play into the bodybuilding arena? And, Kaylin, I know you have some thoughts to share as well. Yes, yes, I do. Because um, he was asking a question and, and there's some feedback that this is uh a lifetime fitness member, uh, Linda, and an L.A. fitness member named Carl, and both of them have been hearing about the intermittent fasting. And one of the things that just has them bewildered to the the point where, you know, they basically just silence themselves because it just sounds like straight ignorance is that people are saying and claiming that they become stronger by not eating. And and, um, they're just, you know they don't have the, the the background or the or the research to back what they're saying. And you know with YouTube, there's a lot of videos out there, but there's no truth to them. 
other than you have somebody just yelling and screaming and sounding like they're saying something that makes sense. And they don't really know how to give a, a, a valid response that can basically justify that that whole, that whole type of thinking or even, you know, if it's true or not. So they're basically listening with uh, open ears because they'd like to give a, a response to the people that are saying this. If you're starving yourself, how do you get stronger in the process and how do you build muscle if you're not putting anything in is what they're mm-hmm. asking. And I, and I love that you went there with an anecdotal bit of evidence or, or at least story because I, I think that's incredibly valid and it's often very underrepresented. So as I mentioned, if you go to PubMed and you start you know, searching around, you're, you're not going to find a lot of information, but you could find somebody who says, look, I've been training for 20 years, and this is what I've found, and, and that's an important piece of information. As we always say, if something works for you, figure out why, learn how to fine-tune that, and if it, if it works for you, that's fantastic. But I would also say, make sure you're not conflating variables. So if somebody says, hey, I started intermittent fasting and I'm stronger, I would like to know how long they've been training. I would like to know uh, how their eating has actually changed. Because if I start intermittent fasting, but I increase my calories by 500, I am going to get stronger just because I have more energy going in, more energy substrate. So there's all kinds of reasons to even self-doubt. And, and that, that's the whole principle of science is to look at something and say, I want to do everything I can to prove this wrong because if there's any way this is wrong, I want to know because the, that's the only way I'm going to find out what's right. So instead of just blindly saying, hey, that person sounds smart, I think I'll believe it, you know, immediately try and shoot it full of holes and see if there's anything absolutely you can find out that, that's right or wrong. So you bring up uh, another great point there about uh, feeling better, Desiree. You said I, I, you know, people sleep better. They, they just they feel better with time-restricted eating, and that is 100% accurate, and, and it should be that way because you're just not relying on you know, massive energy dumps coming in, you know, carbohydrates that are going to increase insulin and you know, crash and, and create all that digestive uh, process. A metabolic reaction, uh, there is no doubt that having some, some time without food is very beneficial. But then you have to say, number one, does it match my goals? If, if I'm trying to gain strength, lean body mass, or performance, uh, is it sustainable? Because we know, for example, that the ketogenic diet is well studied to be the least sustainable. It's the one that causes the most binge eating it has the least compliance of any type of eating studied because we just can't do that. I mean, that's just not how the human body has evolved. Even though we can adapt, uh, we can go for periods of time without food and without carbs, that's not optimal performance. So here's, here's one more little bit of, of anthropology before we dive into some of the benefits of these tactics. Uh, number one, people always like to say things like, well, this is how we're supposed to eat, quote-unquote, or this is how uh, the you know, paleolithic man ate, and therefore we should too. And, and a lot of this stuff is just total just horse crap. You know, first of all, uh, before the invention of fire 1.8 million years ago, we could not even get the, the 
polysaccharides out of starches uh, down into disaccharides and monosaccharides. And so if you had any chance of surviving, it wasn't that you were killing a buffalo and eating one big meal and then you didn't eat for the rest of the month. You're eating all day long anything you can get your hands on. Uh, studies mm-hmm. show that, that it would take 9 to 11 hours a day of eating anything you could get your hands on just to survive. So a, a lot of these things are just stories and myths and misnomers that somebody puts in an article somewhere and, and then it gets repeated. So I, I wanted to mm-hmm. kind of wipe the slate clean and say don't look at anything that you think was some mythical story about how we were supposed to eat or used to eat or, you know, evolved to eat or were designed to eat. Let's just look at the human body now and physiologically what works best. So uh, that's, that's where I would always love to start a scientific discussion is let's look at the facts of, of everything we know. And then we can, we can fill in the gaps with all kinds of research and make some, some great assertions. So, so let me ask you guys real quick, though. Have, have you ever done this kind of eating? Have you tried to do it in a, in a formal way? Um, well, that all depends on how you want to officially define intermittent fasting. And I, I, would, I would actually like to do that here real quick before we get down this discussion any further, just to make sure that we have everyone on the same page as when we say intermittent fasting, this is what we are talking about. Perfect. So if you, why don't you go ahead and give us a definition, and then we will use that as the basis of our conversation moving forward. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I think you are exactly right in that people have defined it different ways, and, and I like that oh, you even said, uh, well, <laughs> I, I like that you even said, you know, just fasting one day a week, a water fast one day a week. Some people call that intermittent fasting. 100% true. That is a well-documented form of fasting that some people in, in as I said, those alternative health environments propose. Uh, I, I think the earliest and the best way of defining intermittent fasting as a lifestyle is having two meals a day. That's another one that pops up very early in literature. People like Jack LaLanne have done that. People who are proponents of actual legitimate ketogenic dieting, they they claim, you know, the same thing works best so that you're not overloading your body with food constantly. And, and this is one of those principles, Desiree, that, that I think really does have some value in that if you, if you eat food and, and three hours later you're just piling more food in and three hours later you're piling more food in, most of the time you still have food in your stomach being digested. And you're never yeah. even getting complete digestion of the food you just had. And I think it creates for most people uh, an exercise of discipline just to wait until they're actually physiologically hungry before they eat another meal. And, and that can take four to six hours. And, there, and, and that's why you see some health benefit in that, you know, glucose disposal agents, clearing agents in your, in your body, just, um, you know, glucagon coursing through your, your body to, to start you know, eliminating uh, everything that's in your, uh, your bloodstream to be used as energy. You're, you're going to be using lipids, so your, your overall total cholesterol level, blood cholesterol levels go down, things like that. 
your A1C goes down because you've got less circulating glucose over time, you know, in 24-hour increments and so forth. So there are all kinds of health benefits to making sure you use the food you're consuming before you eat more. So I would I would classify intermittent fasting at its most basic element as eating two meals a day to, to even three meals a day. Some people with a fast metabolism may say, you know, instead of eating six to eight meals a day, three constitutes intermittent fasting for them. But it's primarily eating no more than two or three meals a day. Uh, some people still rely on just one a day, but I don't think those are people who are necessarily looking for any anabolic response or performance needs uh, from their nutrition. So th- so that's what I would say right there is is just – you know, let's let's call it the the eight sixteen time restricted feeding of you know two to three meals a day. That's what I would say is the normal intermittent fasting, time restricted eating type schedules I'm seeing most today. Cool. Now that we're clear on what we're talking about, then in answer to your initial question, yes, I have practiced intermittent fasting. I wouldn't say I've practiced it to a T as to what you've just described, but I and I and I usually I should say I've done it once. And when I did do it, I used it at a point in my training where my macros were decreased. And for me, um, you know, I picked a time frame that worked for my particular workout schedule. And once I actually got into a groove, it actually helped me manage my hunger if you would if you would because I didn't have my macro spread out so far out through the day. I didn't want to just eat two, you know, huge lumps of milk. So I was still eating three to four times a day, but, you know, they were considerably much smaller than what someone else might consume. And it just helped me to manage my hunger during that time so I wasn't as tempted to a, you know, fall off the wagon and binge eat or be miserable through my day. I mean, I guess, I don't know, Thanks. once I got into the zone into a level, yeah, a level of discipline, I was, you know, I knew what time I was going to eat. I was good with that time. I could manage that time. I knew what time I was going to be done, and that was my goal. And then everything else in between, because it was a more condensed time in my day instead of so spread out as far as when I was going to be taking in my meals, it, it it wasn't like mentally and emotionally, it wasn't as much of an issue of when am I going to eat next, when am I going to eat next, because I knew, you know, it wasn't going to be a long, drawn-out process. And for me, you know, it it worked, but I, I was only doing it over a set number of months. It, it wasn't like my whole lifestyle for years and years and years. So and, and that's, were you, were you that's my feedback eating... of my experience. Were you typically eating something like four meals a day, you said, or, or more like three? Um, it all depends. It was typically three to four. I would say mostly four. And yeah. at that time, and that, the vast – oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that's, that's a more normal athletic performance way of eating. It, and, I, and I would not call that time-restricted, nor would I call it intermittent fasting. Mm. But what I would call it is – because of those cultural waves, because now this is bantered around, people are talking about these methods of eating, something in your mindset of, you know, wow, I really, I don't have to eat every three hours. I don't have to eat six meals a day. 
And, and that was one of the biggest values of this type of methodology hitting the diet world uh, because I agree with you. In, in 2014, Corey and I you know, published the, the, the last book that we still use in our curriculum, and for years prior, I had already been using a system where I told people, you know, you, you don't need that many meals a day. I prefer most people eat four or five if you're training extremely mm-hmm. hard, you know, five, because to your exact point, there are times of the day you just need more food. If you're constantly eating just 15 or 20 grams of protein, 15 or 20 grams of protein every three hours, every three hours, you know, 10 grams of carbs every meal just stretched out over time, you're just, you're just suffering. You're just prolonging this. Yeah. You know, every, you're, you're starving 10 minutes after you eat, and you really do need – I said I want to talk about threshold theory biologically. Uh, almost everything in our body – has tripwires. We have we have a threshold yes. we have to trigger for a response. So just like cardiovascular training, you can walk, you can do all this light work, you can you can do activity, quote unquote, six hours a day, but if you don't cross that metabolic threshold where your body's going into oxygen debt, you don't get that kind of response you need for for much more significant fat loss and so forth. The same thing happens nutritionally. You know, that's why we know there's a protein threshold need. You've got to cross 20 to 25 grams or so of, of usable protein to get that anabolic response. And those same things happen even when you're looking at the, the interplay between hormones like leptin and ghrelin and so forth. Uh, you know, to, to truly not be hungry all the time, you have to get filled up once in a while is, is the easiest way to say it. So, so to your point, Desiree, you know, just, just reducing our reliance on that old practice of eating every couple hours was a massive step forward, I think. And and we should thank those people who, you know, they may call it intermittent fasting or at least have, have drawn from those principles, but I think that's a tremendous thing that, that we could all integrate. And somebody with a really fast metabolism you know, they may still eat five or six times a day instead of ten times a day, but drawing it all the way down to only eating in an eight-hour window may not be necessary or even good for everybody. May maybe a fine mm-hmm. boundary to try, but uh, I, I think you just hit on some really important things that bridge that gap. You know, we're not talking in that scenario about intermittent fasting or time-restricted, you're just using those same frameworks to create something that works better for you. Yes. Yep. And, and, and that's a great way of putting it. And it, I mean, it was a seven hour window, I think by the time I broke it down, but I mean, that's basically what it was. So in my mind, that's what I was calling it, but that's why shows like this are good just to even get more clarification around, you know, something that you've been doing or, or thinking about trying and you just don't quite have all the details about what it really is. So very good, very good. Um, before we get into too much of the nitty-gritty, we've got listener questions rolling in, and I feel bad because I haven't gotten to any of them, so I need to start rolling some of these out there. And then we're going to get oh, into the science-based discussion about pros, cons, and all of that great kind of stuff. So I'm just going to go Perfect. ahead and start at the beginning. <clears throat> this one is from Dale, and I think Dale was getting a little hung up when we were talking about some of the negatives early on about, 
you know, about that are related to or could be related to an occurrence of intermittent fasting. And he's asking, is this as bad as a waist trainer in principle? So I would say, you know, waist trainers, they seem, they sound great in principle, but they're really fantastically horrible. (laughs) They're just, they're not, they're not great at all. So I think in reading Dale's question, he's asking in principle, is intermittent fasting as bad as a waist trainer would seem. Well, like I said, if everybody, I think, can learn from having some really nice structural boundaries. So uh, this is what a lot of people crave. Let's say you don't know as much about nutrition as, as we do on the show. It's not your thing. You're, you're somebody who comes to us, and, and this, this uh, listener's question about you know, a kind of trainer who, who might not know something Think, think of all the clients or listeners who might come and say, look, I don't know anything about nutrition, so just tell me if this is stupid or if it has any value whatsoever. And I would say, you know what, if, if you feel like food is an addiction to you or you have very difficult times making decisions and you just want to be told what to eat, you know, here's how you should eat, I would tell somebody that, if, if it helps you to have a very rigid structure, you know, I, I tell the story often because I, I was able to see Jack LaLanne right before he passed away, and at 91, 92 years old, for years and years prior, he was only eating two meals a day. And, and he preferred to, to juice and, and would just ton of nutrients in these shakes. So at 11 in the morning and 7 at night, so I think he's getting, you know, a good, you know, kind of eight-hour window there as well. He would have his two meals, and they were, you know, protein powder, high-protein uh, supplements inside of fruits and vegetables and having this great big shake. But he was 92 years old. He wasn't expending a ton of calories, uh, even though he was yes. exercising. It wasn't like he was there a 250-pound, you, you know, Kalen, you know, squatting 800 pounds. So that worked for him, and that was just a simple structure. He could he could build his day around that. You know, hey, I, this is what I eat breakfast. This is what I have dinner. This is what I eat. I don't have to make those decisions every day now. It's just what I do. I like it. I feel good. I'm healthy. So every time even somebody like me says, hey, this is right or this is wrong, always push for that context. You know, right for who, wrong for who, right for when, wrong for when, and, I, you know, that's how I would answer that question. Um, I wouldn't say intermittent fasting has no value. It just has more value for some people with some goals and less value for other people. But, as I said, we can still draw from that and learn what could be best for us. Yeah. And, well, you know, one of the things, like I said, because with your research and background, you are always asking the question that I, this, it should come to mind with anyone that's being fed information is what, where, and why. And, and you know, I said, well, if, if we're being told this, what's the foundation of why we're questioning it and why is it being changed? And that was the one thing that always used to hit me like a brick upside the head is when you'd hear anyone with a sports background knows that you got to feed the machine. And the uh-huh. things that I was hearing – the stuff that was going into people's bodies was just shocking. I mean, honestly. And then when you hear the times when they wouldn't eat or, or why they weren't eating, and I'm saying, well, no other sport would ever 
recommend this kind of regimen. It, it, it would it, it would be failure at its best. I mean, there was just nothing that could back it. And I said, well, what, what's the foundation that we're starting with and the platform that we're standing on? And if it is so set in stone, why would we want to go against it in the first place? And, and it was never a legitimate answer on either side. And I'm saying, then why is this the foundation? And, you know, a lot of times, people would be offended because, you know, you're questioning, they would take it more personal than, you know, basically looking for a scientific backing or, or, or some way to sustain that, that whole conversation or statement. Am I wrong in that way of thinking? No. Um, I, I'll give you another story. I, I've mentioned this before on uh, one of our own podcasts, but I had a client come to me a couple years ago, and he was doing what I defined as the current – uh, foundation of intermittent fasting, which was he was a bodybuilder, uh, really nice physique, been training for a long time. He wanted me to help him win a pro card, and uh, he was he was eating two meals a day, and each of those meals he would have about a hundred grams of protein and about a hundred oh, wow. grams of fat. So so try eating a hundred grams of protein and a hundred grams of fat and zero carbs whatsoever. And, and he was okay with that. He's like, look, I've, I've, I've adapted to it. I feel fine. I'm strong in the gym. And, and that really can happen. Again, we are very adaptive. But I, I told him this. I said, okay, now we need to start dieting because you need to lose about 20 pounds of body fat for the show. We've got about five months to do it. So I'm going to ask you to start spreading out your nutrients because in a calorie deficit, we don't want 12 hours of space without any protein, without any amino acids, and you're going to start needing more carbohydrates if you want your metabolism to actually not completely tank. So here's what happened over those five months. We, we lost 20 pounds of body fat, and I was able to increase his calories by about 30%. So we ended up, we started out with zero grams of carbs. We ended up over 300 grams of carbs. So I, I talked him back into thinking that carbs are not the enemy. Of course, we brought his dietary fat down, but because we were able to spread his, his amino acid intake around the clock, you know, back to, we, we actually went up to just four meals. We went from two meals to three to four, but he was able to gain, and this is a regain because you, you would never gain this kind of muscle mass on a diet, especially getting down to 3 or 4% body fat. But he was able to show a regain of about 4 or 5 pounds of lean body mass while he lost yep. 20 pounds of body fat while increasing his calories by 30%. So that yeah. shows you how, how inferior, inferior intermittent fasting is if your goal is to gain strength, gain lean body mass. But to his point prior, he said, look, you know, six months, six months earlier, I feel fine. I'm strong in the gym. I'm healthy. I'm, I'm great. I can eat this way. It just wasn't what was optimal for his goal of getting that lean and not losing all his lean body mass. Gotcha. So, I mean, I think you're bringing up a really great point on depending what your goal are, you know, intermittent fasting has benefits, um, but then also if your goals are, you know, 
whatever they may be, it may not be the best route for you. Um, you know, so I'm going to go ahead and read Linda's quote here, but I think Linda just kind of keep that in mind, depending on what it is you're actually trying to do and your level of health that you're starting at to begin with, because I also think that makes a big difference in how effective intermittent fasting can actually be for you. Um, Linda says, we live in a country that has been overeating for decades. This kind of makes sense to do just to better regulate our food intake. I 100% agree. Yeah, I was going to, so go ahead. So there is that. Well, in in that context, and back to Caitlin's point about knowing exactly what your goals are, um, I absolutely agree because the typical person, and I won't say American because we're in good company with, you know, um, an overfeeding issue, you know, we wake up, we eat breakfast, maybe, maybe not. And then, you know, we we ramp up our eating when we get home and we're still eating at midnight, you know, right before bed. And as you did yourself, Desiree, going down to four meals a day over the course of seven or eight hours, uh, the first principle that most people would think is logical in dieting is to not eat late at night, don't go to bed with a bunch of food in your stomach, and, and that just simply works. I mean, anybody who stops eating at night, they, they shut it down early, they just do better. And there are all kinds of metabolic reasons for that. You don't have to. You know, that's not a rule. You know, you see people make fun of, of you know, these myths like, oh, you can't eat carbs late at night or whatever. Of course you can, depending on your metabolism and your goals. But the average person trying to manage their weight will do better going to bed on an empty stomach and then I also mm-hmm. like what you said, Desiree, about delaying breakfast because here's, here, here are still the facts you cannot get around. When people eat breakfast, particularly a higher-protein breakfast, studies with kids and with adults show that without, even, without restricting your food and without tracking your food, the average person eats about 400 calories less per day just because they had a breakfast with protein. Uh, And there are all kinds of other studies that show some some metabolic enhancement to that. So I'm here to say that those those old uh, adages are still appropriate, that if you eat a good breakfast, that's a healthy thing to do. But... Again, you don't have to say that's a hard, fast, rigid rule because people who delay eating until later in the morning, if they are health conscious, if they're making good decisions the rest of the day, that can be an appropriate way of eating. So what I just gave you the example of, of of people who eat protein with an early breakfast and they eat fewer calories the rest of the day, those aren't people who are dieting. Those aren't people who have any kind of restrictions. Those are just, they're just being monitored to see what they eat. You give somebody a good health plan, and you say, hey, it's fine. Don't eat breakfast till 9 or 10 or noon you know, if you don't want to, and you know, see how you do. If they eat their first meal at the time they want, and it is made with the kind of nutrients they want, they plan the rest of the day how they think is appropriate, that can work absolutely fine. And I've even tried that, and uh, I have to say that I, I think I actually feel better, you know, just by instead of waking up and running to the kitchen and eating, if you just get into your day, 
you know, so you, maybe you're eating two hours, three hours later, when you actually start getting hungry, I, I think there can be some value benefits to that. Have you tried right. anything like that, Kaylin? Because you are a, you're a pretty active, you know, lifting guy. So have, have you done anything like that? Yes. I, I, what, what I've tried to do is basically feed when I need. And I think I never wanted that regulatory understanding that this is what has to be done. It has to be set in stone because life happens. And, you know, there's always going to be that day where nothing lines up. And if you're still not able to make it through the day, then there's something wrong with that. So my body should be able to make it through those moments and times. And I, 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 it's a challenge to me because, you know, I never wanted to be that person that was basically stuck to the table at a certain time because, you know, with the way things happen in, in the fitness industry, there's always like that on-call moment where you have to be moving in a hurry. And if you're set in stone, well, I have to have this amount of protein, I have to have this, this amount of carbon, I have to have, you know, there's going to be times where the numbers don't match up, but you still got to get through that moment. And, you know, it just happens. So, you know, I've, I've been challenged with that many times, especially when you have people calling off from classes and stuff like that, and you have to basically step in there and, and manage that. So, that you know, the diet is going to be challenged. It's going to be changed. It's going to be altered. But, you know, you got to find a way. And I don't want that to be basically the doom and gloom, like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to make it to the day because I didn't hit my number on protein or I didn't hit my number on carbs. So it, it, it's something you think about, but like you said, if you're, if you're conscious of what you're doing, you can regulate it better and, and basically not fall apart in the process. Is that answered better? Yeah, yeah absolutely, and and I definitely want Desiree to, to throw in some more questions from listeners, because I'll, I'll bet I know we're going to get at some topics that will uh, we'll wrap this up nicely, so so feel free to, to bring some of those up, Desiree. Well, and we we may get those topics, but right now we're going to take a step back because we still have some listeners that are uh, are still scratching their heads on the claims of how anyone can be stronger um, when not eating. And so Samantha is asking, doesn't the body naturally underperform from sustained bouts of not taking nutrition into the body? A- absolutely, and and. <laughs> I'll answer that in this range. So um, I, I have a slow metabolism, uh, always have. Um, my thyroid output is uh, decreasing you know, as, I, as I get older. And even as a pro bodybuilder 10, 15, 20 years ago, uh, I certainly had to diet on fewer calories than other people of my size. And one of the things that always worked best for me was having more time between meals. And so uh, even though after training, you know, you have maybe a pre-workout and a post-workout meal, and then because of that metabolic activity, you are uh, you're going to be hungrier. So I might have to eat again two or three hours later, but then I would always try and choose a couple times during the day where I wouldn't eat for four or five hours because I really did want to get empty. And like you said, Desiree, I've only got so many calories in the day, so I, I don't want to be starving all day. I want to have a, a meal or two where I can really get filled up. Uh, but there is that cost. Um, you are definitely going to lose strength. You're going to lose performance because you are operating on fewer calories. And body fat, yeah. even though we can convert that to energy, it's, it's inefficient in terms of speed. It's very efficient because you get nine calories per gram and, and 
your body uses it slower, so it's efficient for your survival, but it's very inefficient if you need fast-acting energy. So that that's a concession you have to make. I remember, I mean, gosh, if, if during the off-season I'm at my, you know, fullest, biggest, strongest, you know, if I could squat or deadlift 500 pounds, I always had a goal in my mind, which is, okay, if I'm going to lose 15 or 20 or 25 pounds for this contest, I, I don't want my deadlift or squat to get below maybe 405. Like, I don't want to lose more than 20% of my strength. But I never went into it thinking, gosh, I'm going to eat less, I'm going to lose body mass, and I'm going to get stronger. I mean, of course not. You, you know the opposite is going to happen. And so to your caller's point or listener's point, you know, there are going to be concessions, but that also means greater health benefit because the lighter you are, the less body fat, the less oxidative stress, the longer you're going to live. So that's, that's that trade-off of being leaner and healthier is that like Jack LaLanne, you know, eating two meals a day for his 90-year-old needs and goals was perfect for him. All right, very I hope good. that answered that one. Well, I think it probably answered a lot of questions out there. Um, we need, we need, we don't need anything. We need to get Brenda's question out here on the floor. Um, she's asking, how can anyone regulate their day and diet in a way that keeps their metabolism active all day without the supposed gimmicks? Well, so there, there is a great question because you really need to live on the nice edge. You want to have the best benefits you can with the least amount of drawback. So to keep your metabolism high, this, this goes all the way back to the, the opposite of what we're talking about, which is the more times you eat per day, the more stimulated your metabolism is. So that's one thing. Uh, but again, that is now a juxtaposition to the goal of getting leaner. You know, we eat more, so that stimulates anabolism and metabolism. But to eat less, you know, we, we want to decrease anabolism in a sense that we're not building stores of body fat, but we're retrieving, we're mobilizing fat. But that's the opposite to building and maintaining muscle. So, you know, you're, you're asking for the best of both worlds, which can't exist. So you have to pick your one goal. So as we've talked about in terms of bodybuilding or physique development, physique sports, you know, the goal ultimately for competition is to be as lean as possible. So that's when you have to say, yeah. I, I, I have to make some concessions here. But the value of trying to live on that nice edge comes down to what I said with my clients. You know, we did have to increase his meals to, to four times a day. We did have to increase his carbohydrate intake and reduce his dietary fat intake to make his metabolism way more efficient in terms of metabolic speed, you know, just maintaining that amped state. So that's, that's where you just have to, you're juggling those variables and you have to decide what's your best context. I'll, I'll, I'll finish this question this way. I have another client who hired me, and it's kind of bizarre in that this guy is a pure ectomorph. He's six foot three, six foot four, weighs about 140 pounds, and he's trying to Holy gain muscle. Crap. So, so the guy's about three percent body fat already, 
and he wants muscle. He's a young kid. He's a young man trying to gain muscle, and yet he came to me on a ketogenic diet. And I said, you're, oh. you're, re- you're really trying to gain muscle? I mean, you're, you're 140 pounds at 6'4", and you think he eating no carbs wow. is the way to gain muscle? But because, again, of what he's reading out there in the blogosphere, he was convinced that, you know, he read somewhere, heard somewhere that that's how it's done. So, of course, I immediately, you know, start introducing carbs, and we're, we're pushing him over, and he immediately starts sending pictures of, of his muscle tissue just fuller, you know, pumped, he's vascular, he's gaining, his body weight starting to come up a little bit. And even though I'm having to make this transition slowly, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about when, when we're looking at juggling these variables for what your body needs. Okay, Dr. Joe, <laughs> it is. It is, but you've got a lot of great examples, and we could keep going all night. But you know what? Our time, it is at the 8 o'clock hour, so we are going to be respectful of your time and uh, get this wrapped up. Um, and I don't think our questions quite hit on everything that you were wanting to share with us, so I'm going to give you the floor for a summation of, okay, give us the top three or five points that you feel are the most important for someone to walk away with regarding intermittent fasting. Perfect. I, I, I like that you're giving me this chance just to make sure that people walk away hearing uh, what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. Uh, in that there are benefits to these principles of eating fewer meals per day, not being afraid to eat a larger meal or two per day. For the average person trying to lose weight, even if you're active, you're lifting weights, you may not be a pro physique sport person or a competitive athlete of any sort. You're just trying to live your best life. Of course, you can you can shrink your feeding time into smaller windows. If you want to make a rule for yourself to not eat after dinner and you want to delay having breakfast for a couple hours, absolutely do what works for you. There are tons of metabolic reasons that that's helpful and healthy, and that's what is fully supported by the normal understanding of physiology and even a great deal of research out there showing that time-restricted eating and, and intermittent fasting has health value, especially when it's done with healthy food and good dietary principles. But when we bring in the competitive bodybuilder, the strength athlete, the performance athlete, that's where things get dicey, and yes. you probably need more meals per day. You probably don't need to focus on you know, the clock, and there are times when you're hungry and you've had a tremendous workout one day or you've got one the next day that, you, like, like Kaylin said, you need to feed the machine. So it, there's just not a right or wrong here. There are principles we can use per the context and the goal structure that we have, but it's, you know, unfortunately it just falls in that category where a lot of people are fighting on both extremes and it becomes a turf war yes. where, where nobody wins. Oh, my goodness, gotcha. yeah. I know. It's just so much. Just so much. I know. So, obviously, we can't carry on forever tonight, although we would love to. Aww. So, do us a favor. 
Let folks know where they can find you if they want to connect with you or any of your docs and your diet doc network. And also, you have a regular podcast now as well. Where can they tune in to listen to um, you share on a variety of health, wellness, and nutrition topics? Great. I appreciate that very much. So our our main connection point with people is thedietdoc.com. So thedietdoc.com, and the podcast is the Diet Doc uh, Life Mastery Podcast, where Corey, my business partner, and I discuss all of these things. Where we we have a daily podcast. We we keep it under thirty minutes. It's usually twenty to thirty minutes, so that people can just get that, you know, everything they need to know in a short list. But we we have categories of of nutrition, of of health psychology, of even fitness entrepreneurship, and we have one segment I love called called science or fiction, where we take something that's that's a topic like today and we break down the science of it, and then we even have a coaching clinic where we interview a good nutrition or health uh, you know coach in the industry and. So it's a lot of fun. It's the Diet Doc Life Mastery Podcast. You can find that on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, if you go to our, our channel there. So yes, I appreciate you letting me uh, get that out there. Hey, no problem. Love to have it. And, you know, and we love to share. So as much as we love all of our listeners that listen to P2P Real Talk, if there's another outlet out there that's going to be helpful for them, we want them to be in the know as well. Um, here quickly, the Aussies say hi, Dr. Joe, and they want to know when you're going to be back in their neck of the woods to do more seminars. Well, I, I was in Tasmania about a month and a half ago, and we're already planning on a return, so we may make that annual and try and perhaps lump it in with the Arnold Classic that they have in Melbourne every, every uh, I think it's right around April maybe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, mean, I hope, hope to get back over there for sure. All right, very cool. Kaylin, last thought from you. Hey, say hi to Justin Figueroa when you see him. He's a good fellow. You know him. (laughs) You got it. All right, Dr. Joe, have a fantastic night. Give Corey all our love, and uh, we'll be keeping our eye on you guys. (laughs) Likewise. Thank you guys very much. Love you, Dr. Joe. All right. Another great show. Loved it. Um, this will be a good one to share, guys. So, you know, you listen to our podcast, but if you know of someone who can benefit from uh, what we're talking about, be sure to send them the link. It'll always get you back to the archives once the video is available. So please feel free to spread the love. And, Steph, you wanted to know more about Dr. Joe and uh, his competitive career, and I'm sorry we didn't get that one asked live Um, We ran out of time, but as I had referenced earlier, if you check the archives, our first show with Dr. Joe, he talks a lot about how he got into bodybuilding and progressed through the ranks and all of that good kind of history. So if you look for Joe Klimzeski in the archives, you're going to be able to still get those details from him. Kalen? Hey, I'm I'm just in love with the fellow because, like I said, he, he challenged himself to make sure that the ground he was walking on wasn't uh, shaky or basically just a flat-out lie. He challenged himself, and he found himself, if you read this book, I'm not saying anything that other people don't already know or haven't shared, and he found that he was wrong on some things, and he basically corrected that that error 
and he was very vocal about it to make sure that the the right information was being sent forth. And you got to love somebody that's willing to do that. And you've got to respect someone that's basically, you know, putting themselves out there to say, hey, maybe I need to learn more. And he always has done that. And I, I just, I love his platform. I love where he comes from. And I love what he's doing for the industry because he's saving a lot of lives by protecting their health and fitness. And, you know, Dad and I both uh, just are overjoyed about that because, hey, that's what we speak about anyway. So, you know, without, you know, another snickerdoodle uh, shout-out, I guess we can get on (laughs) off the show. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we can. So just remember the Diet Doc, if you Google that or, uh, you know, put it in Facebook, you're going to find him. Also, Joe Klimzeski, the last name spelled K-L-E-M-C-Z-E-W-S-K-I, if you're looking for him in the social media realm. And with that, thanks so much. We enjoy each and every one of you, each and every Tuesday and Thursday, and every day in between. So hashtag chocolate way for the win, and uh, live blessed. So. On behalf of Kayla and myself and the boys from P4P Muscle, your body is a temple, so let's build it.